This is the beauty of it, though. From Genesis to Revelation, I've traced the word. I've circled every occurrence of it in the scriptures into its Greek counterpart in the New Testament. And while it is used frequently to describe the intimacy of a husband and wife, it's used more often in verses to describe our intimacy with God. In verses like, be still and know that I am God. Well, that's a bit of a mystery. And uh, we unraveled that last time with our guest, Dana Gresh, talking about a word in the Bible that you may have never heard of before, yet it has profound ramifications for each one of us. This is Focus on the Family with Focus President Jim Daly and psychologist Dr. Julie Slattery. And I'm John Fuller. We're returning to a second day of some great insights, Julie, that uh, you and uh, Dana Gresh talked about. And it is profound. There are some wonderful nuggets in here. And I hope each one of you will be able to take away some of these truths that you've talked about. Uh, We're listening to a conversation that, uh, Julie, you recorded with Dana about her book, What Are You Waiting For? The One Thing No One Ever Tells You About Sex. And what Daniel was referring to in that clip is a word that's found in the original Hebrew language uh, of the Old Testament. It's pronounced yada. And this word represents sex in the Bible, particularly within the context of a husband and wife. But it's so much bigger. It means to deeply know and respect someone. And Dana talks about how destructive it is when we take sexuality outside of the context of knowing and being committed to someone. And uh, I love the way that she talks about how our society offers so many counterfeits to this that are really destroying our kids' lives. And I know this can be a touchy subject. Let me just remind everyone, it's important for us as Christians to talk about this topic so that our children have a healthy understanding. That's the purpose of this. We're not trying to make anybody uncomfortable, but we think God's design for human sexuality is so important and so powerful that we want to give you the tools to equip your kids in a healthy way. Well, and and the beauty of God's design is lost on so many people in our culture. We're going to start the second half of this conversation uh, between Dr. Julie Slattery and Dana Gresh uh, with a pretty powerful illustration that Dana shares about a young Christian couple in college who just didn't get it. I was so perplexed once to just teach my heart out before I had found this word yada at a Christian college campus. And this young couple came up to me and he was so proud. He was on on the football team of this campus. And he said, we just resonate with what you're talking about. We want to live out this life of purity. And so we go around teaching at little campus groups. We just share our testimony of purity. And we want everybody just to do what we do and only, and then he went on to describe these graphic acts of sexual intimacy that were just shy of the full deal. Hmm. And he had no shame. Hmm. He, he thought that he was living a life of purity because they hadn't gone all the way. And his girlfriend stood beside him and her face began to tremor and tears began to fall from her eyes because she knew that what she was living out somewhere in her spirit, she knew it was fake. She knew it was the counterfeit. She knew she had believed a lie. And my heart cry just goes out to parents that if we don't tell our kids where the lines are, they will not know that the behavior that is the norm for today is a counterfeit that will rob them of the gift they're really waiting for. 
And what that story says is it's not just the norm for today. It's the acceptable Christian norm Mm -hmm. that if you can maintain your technical virginity, uh, you are pure. And there's a difference between those two concepts. And And the question I'm sure that comes up all the time is, so, okay, Dana, tell us how far we can go without getting into trouble. One of the things that we know, we talked last time about the fact that the brain chemicals are so powerful in the act of sexuality. And even the line with kissing, there are certain kinds of kisses. There's the sweet, gentle kiss on the cheek. And, you know, well, we probably shouldn't describe all of them. Moms know. <laughs> I remember, the moms he- listening I remember hearing know. there were peaches, plums, and alfalfa yeah, kisses. Yeah, let's not even go there because <laughs> yeah. I'm just... Really? Yeah. Peaches, plums, and alfalfa? Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, you can explain to me. (laughs) (laughs) But there are different kinds of kisses, and there's this sweet, innocent kiss that really doesn't arouse the body system. But there's that kiss that you know your body is now in control. Mm -hmm. Your brain is not making good decisions. Your body is in control. That's because the autonomic nervous system has been enacted. Now, that's the system of the body that controls, for example, fear. You know, you crunch up the fender of your car. You're thinking about that conversation with your husband tonight (laughs) when he comes home from work. You have a hot flash, you know, not because you're over your 40s, (laughs) but because you just crunched. That's the autonomic nervous system. It's initiating launch sequence. That's right. And it's not like you're not standing there and saying, I just crunched the car. I believe I should sweat now. Mm -hmm. It's the environment that controls it. When you enter into a kind of kiss that is going to turn the ignition of the autonomic nervous system, you're not in control anymore. That system is in control of you. And so where is the line with kissing? Well, how much do you want to be in control of your love life and of your purity and of writing your story? That's the real question. That's the real question. Mm. Yeah. I had one young woman when I was writing the book tell me that she grew up in a really, I mean, I asked her the name of the church. I asked her the denomination of the church. I'm like, this is a Bible-believing good denomination. I know about that church. It's a good church. Her youth pastor told them that anything above the waist was okay. Hmm. Can I hear a shock from the peanut gallery? Hmm. Really? Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says this, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever captivated by her love. Now, this is really one of those steamy Bible verses, right? It is. And it's, and it's right. not even in Song of Solomon. No, it's not. not. <laughs> no, right? We're out of that steamy book. And yet it's clearly one about, the, about celebrating the mm. gift that God's given a husband and a wife. It says rejoice in the wife, one wife of your youth. And then it's real specific. May her breast satisfy you. So one wife, yeah, you know, like that's just this part of the body was created for one. Now, I want to be real specific to go to that last phrase. It says, may you be captivated by her love. I just love the Hebrew language because that word captivated would have been better translated intoxicated. Now let's go back to the autonomic nervous system. I think what happens when we get on sexual overdrive is we are intoxicated. Mm -hmm. We're not anymore in control. The environment, what's happening to our bodies becomes in control. That's really the state of intoxication, right? Mm -hmm. God created us to be intoxicated with one man and for that man to be intoxicated by one woman. So where is the line in touching one another, fondling? 
Well, I can tell you it's not what that youth pastor described. So people are saying, then what is it? I know you said you need to ask yeah. a different question, but... Let me tell you what the different question is. I believe the question is found in Ephesians 5, 3. It says, let there not be a hint of sexual sin in my people, for this is improper. The question needs to be, how far away can I stay? Wow. If God's standard is that there is not a hint of sexual sin in me. Let me just ask this. Do we hint at sexual sin when we reach for a miniskirt, knowing that we're going to get a few extra glances? Hmm. Or that low-cut blouse, moms, mm -hmm. that everyone else is wearing, and so does it really matter? Yep, we do. Does a guy hint at sexual sin when he's looking at porn on the Internet? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. So the question needs to be not how far is too far or how far can I go? Because really, isn't that the motivation in the question? Yeah. <laughs> how far Absolutely. can I go? The question is, how far away can I stay? Uh, we live in a culture, a day and an age where we come to sexual maturity physically in the early adolescent years, 11, 12, 13, and we're getting married later and sometimes not getting married at all. So let's say you have a 26-year-old young woman who is committed to purity, who is committed to, I don't even want a hint of sexual immorality in my life, but I long for intimacy. I, I long for this yada relationship with a man. And beyond that, I have hormones too, and I live in a culture that's constantly playing on those desires how does a woman who doesn't see marriage in the near future channel all that drive without compromising? Well, I don't think she's ever going to be afraid of the consequences. We all think we are immune. And I don't think that we can constantly set forth in her mind a thou shalt not mentality. Because that's like asking someone who needs to lose a little weight don't eat chocolate cake and don't eat those wonderful Hershey's Kisses and don't certainly have lasagna because just because. Just stop wanting it. <laughs> yeah, just stop wanting it. And we never tell them, listen, you are going to be healthier. Your body's going to be stronger. You're going to be more satisfied with how you see yourself in the mirror because you're taking care of yourself. We never tell them the benefits. And that's what we do so often with the gift of sexuality. We forget to talk about how fun. You see, abstinence is not about waiting to have sex. It's about waiting to have it right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I would say to that young woman is not only is the intimacy better when you have waited, but social science tells us that the sex is better <laughs> when you wait. And there are some of the most liberal studies out there that they're just perplexed because they're just trying to find evidence and answers for all these immoral and very promiscuous behaviors. And they find again and again and again that the people with the most satisfied sex life, especially when we're talking about women, are middle-aged women in mutually monogamous lifetime relationships. I just call that marriage. Mm -hmm. God has a reward for you. Uh -huh. He is not trying to withhold something good from you. He has an incredible blessing, and the physical blessings of sex can't even touch his true intention of an intimacy so great 
that God's word says it's a picture of Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. There are other counterfeits of yada that women are falling for left and right. One of them is pornography. Mm. People think that's a young man's problem. That's not true anymore. It's not true anymore. It may have been true 10 years ago. Um, More and more, it is a young woman's problem. I get, you know, most heartbreaking conversation I had of this year was a ministry associate who called my husband and I because his nine-year-old girl was Mm. struggling with porn. And it's permeating the holiest of homes. Really, just let me say that if you have an internet connection in your home and you don't have a filter system of some type on it, just go buy a few copies of Penthouse and Playboy and put them on the dining room table because it's the same thing. Hmm. It's the same thing. Boy, that's a wake-up call. (laughs) It really is, isn't it? Yeah. But this one's easy. I said the last time we talked that you could answer all of your sexual questions by filtering it through this word, yada, and have a really an answer that reflects sexual theology based on this word. So what's the matter with porn? Well, in light of the word yada, which means to know, to be known, to be deeply respected, I want to ask the question, can you know or be known by the pixels on a computer screen? No. No. That's a pretty easy answer right there. (laughs) It is. So it's easy. Now, here's the thing, though. Can you be addicted to those pixels? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the body's going to experience some of the same values neutral chemicals, addicting chemicals that take place during the act of sex, meant to addict us to our life partner, our marriage partner, when we experience the pleasure of pornography. I really am shocked that the world is beginning to understand how stupid this is. And they are. And yet we still struggle, and the church still struggles. Two of the most telling bits of research that I've seen recently, New Yorker magazine ran an article on men in porn. And they did this kind of revolutionary thing for the world. They brought some men who were struggling with porn, and they said, hey, how about if you fast from porn? Let's just see what happens. And what was reported is that suddenly these men said, oh, I have an appetite for real sex with my real partner. Huh. I didn't have that before. Go figure. And this was in the New Yorker. In the New Yorker. And then in a magazine um, for women, Self Magazine, they did a similar study, and and they were just talking to women about porn and how it enhances their relationship. So they obviously don't have a moral concern with the use of pornography. But they did notice that women who were using porn tended to be less interested in sex with their partner. Mm -hmm. And so they suggested, well, we think that porn might give you some creativity in the bedroom. If you want to have great sex, you might want to push pause on the porn. That's amazing. It is amazing. When when you consider the source, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Dana, people know that men are wired visually, and so it makes sense to them that they've got to watch their teenage sons when it comes to pornography. But I don't think people know how to make the connection. Why would a young girl be attracted to pornography when she's not wired that way? She really wants the emotional connection. Well, let me tell you the sad secret of female porn. The porn industry is very powerful, very lucrative. It is more lucrative than all of the five major sporting programs in the United States. We're talking the National Football League, basketball, hockey, NASCAR, really, baseball combined. You're kidding. There's more money. There's more in money in porn than those five industries combined. That's amazing. Which gives it a lot of power. 
And they're not stupid. They know that women are emotionally wired. So they create porn with storylines. They create porn that is specifically targeted towards the emotional needs of women. And let me just step on some toes here and say that some of the movies in our mainline theaters are some pretty nice girl porn. Hmm. I could name them right now. I'm not sure that I should. But when you are in a movie where suddenly you're seeing full-out nudity and there's been a storyline that leads you up to that justifying that you watch it, you've been looking at porn. The same can be said of romance novels. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So um, it's not hard to see how our daughters can be caught up in porn because they're creating it for your daughters. How does a mom address this other than getting filters, other than maybe saying stay away from the stuff, it's dangerous? Mm -hmm. Well, that's why it's so critical that every mom listening understands and is empowered and encouraged and freed up to have an open dialogue with her daughter about her sexuality. And this really needs to start when she's young, when she's very little, particularly must be present during the teen years. So that when your daughter is seeing her friends do stupid things, and I'm talking about, you know, my daughters go to a Christian high school and they have friends in the public school. They have even friends in their Christian high school who get caught up in the world's counterfeits. And if I do not help them define what is happening, their friends in the world will. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about having very intentional, ongoing conversations about things like pornography, about mm-hmm. the hookup culture. Uh, most moms don't feel really equipped to do that. That's why they should read my book. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and those moms who have gone through the yeah. Secure Keeper Girl series with their daughters, they know that you really do walk them through these yes. difficult conversations. That's right. Um, that's my goal. This I believe this book sets up a sexual theology using the word yada, tracing it through the scriptures. But it's very practical. How far is too far? Why is porn bad? What's wrong with same-sex attraction? These are the hard questions that your daughter is grappling with. You know, it's our role as moms to present the truth. And if this gift of sexuality is a picture of Christ in the church, is there any area where we must be more vigilant to protect the truth? One of my friends, Dr. Peter Jones, says that if the church does not rise up to protect the truth about sexuality, the picture of the gospel will be marginalized. We will wake up one day and it will be gone. Hmm. And we see that starting to happen. It is. And Dana, you have related this concept of sexual theology primarily in our conversation to singles, but it plays out in marriage as well. You and I both know wives who are wishing and hoping and praying for yada-type intimacy in their marriage, yeah. and they don't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the impact of understanding this deep knowing as it relates to a husband and wife? Well, you you understand what the purpose of your sexuality is and that it extends beyond the bedroom because if my husband doesn't know me and know everything about me, that oneness that we experience in the bedroom isn't really what God created for us to know. He has to know me in my heart, in my soul. He has to know everything about me. And I think, you know, if I could say this, I don't know, God's leading me to this totally off topic and certainly not in my book for young women on sexuality, but maybe the women listening today 
just need to prioritize their intimacy with their husband. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need to stop being so tired and having so many headaches. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to use code here, moms. Uh, well, you know you're preaching to the choir <laughs> talking to me about this. Uh, yes, you are the author of <laughs> No More Headaches, right? I am. And, and really, that book and that journey in my own marriage started with seeking intimacy with the Lord, mm -hmm. where I was asking him in my time with him, Lord, I want to serve you. How can I be more faithful? And the word I kept getting back from him was start with your husband. Amen. Start with your attitude towards how are you meeting his needs and yeah. how are you pursuing him? Well, you mentioned Song of Solomon earlier in the show. And one of the things as I've been studying it recently is how she gives herself to him. Uh -huh. It's a act of giving and she is focused on giving whereas our culture makes this gift of sexuality about getting mm -hmm. and taking and lusting and wanting and that is not what God designed at all he designed us to be givers and even in the New Testament the Apostle Paul says listen if you're married your body is not your own mm -hmm. but it belongs to him and his belongs to you and so don't deprive each other unless it is for a certain time and by mutual consent for prayer. Like <laughs> Have you ever run into a woman who says, yeah, I haven't been intimate with my husband for a few months because I'm praying? <laughs> yeah, no, but I've had plenty of them say, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I have too much to do, he wants it at the wrong time, I have a headache. These are not the excuses the Apostle Paul outlined for us. Hmm. And I would love if a spirit of repentance would come on women because when we give our husbands what they need, we get what we need. Mm -hmm. That's, That's how profound. God designed it. Mm -hmm. How has that played out with you and Bob? Julie, it's none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it really has been as, you know, any kind of giving, whether it's seeing that he has a need. This morning he needed his shirt ironed. I did not want to iron his shirt. I wanted to put my makeup on. But just going over and giving myself to him, I felt his heart open. And I was wondering why you don't have makeup on today. I know, I look terrible. <laughs> but my husband's shirt is fine. <laughs> and that's how we come to the conclusion of uh, today's conversation on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly and Dr. Julie Slattery. I'm John Fuller, and uh, the focal point of the discussion was Dana Gresh's book, What Are You Waiting For?, the one thing no one ever tells you about sex. The goal in all of this, folks, is to make sure that we have the tools to equip ourselves to strengthen that area of our marriage and to also help train our children in a healthy perspective. Because this is one area where the culture wants to rip your kids apart. And I'm just encouraging you to stand in that gap, even though it's uncomfortable, and be there for your kids, uh, able to give an answer in this area of human expression. Mm, and what I love about what Dana presented is that this is a positive message. Mm -hmm. You know, as we're teaching our three boys at home about God's design for sexuality, yes, we have to talk about things like pornography, sexually transmitted diseases, the negative. But more than that, we're talking about and modeling the positive, that this is a beautiful gift that God has given to a husband and wife. And we don't want them to tarnish that gift. We want 
to show them uh, what a wonderful thing it is that a husband and a wife know each other intimately and are bonded together by what God has given. And Julie, we want to thank once again Dana Gresh for uh, the many years of service. I mean, she's been on this topic of sexual purity with girls particularly for a long time, and I'm thankful for her expertise. You know, Jim, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I have three teen daughters, and this is the kind of topic that we want to talk with them about on a regular basis. And uh, if you have girls in your home, I'd urge you to do the same and to use Dana's book as kind of a launching pad for uh, those conversations that we need to be having. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Focus President Jim Daly, Dr. Julie Slattery, and the entire team here, thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. I think as Christian moms, we have to be so intentional in speaking about this area of sexual intimacy with our daughters, because if we don't, they will be thrown counterfeits of what sex was truly designed to be. In Dana Gresh's book called What Are You Waiting For? She follows the trail of one provocative ancient word through the Bible to discover God's deepest thoughts about sex. The mind-blowing truth she uncovers clearly points the way to a sexuality that's satisfying and real and everything God designed it to be. In this book, you'll discover a truth that will transform everything you think you know about sex, romance, and God. I would encourage moms of teen girls to give this resource as a gift to their daughters and then to use it as a launching pad for conversations on this topic. You can order What Are You Waiting For? when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. Thanks for listening in today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.